This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Samantha Sherris, and joining today's show is Fred Zeidman, director and co-chair of Council for Secure America. Fred offers a grade for the Biden administration's energy policies, the administration's energy policies impact on U.S. national security, and much more. We'll get to my conversation with Fred Zeidman right after this. For over 35 years, the Heritage Foundation Job Bank has been helping conservatives at all professional levels find employment in key positions in Washington, D.C. and across the country. We can help you connect with positions in the administration, on Capitol Hill, in public policy organizations, and in the private sector. To learn more about the Heritage Foundation Job Bank, go to heritage.org job bank. Joining today's show is Fred Zeidman, director and co-chair of Council for a Secure America. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. Sam, it's a great pleasure. Uh, you know, I think that uh, where we are right now, our organization, uh, which obviously is uh, uh, in a building phase, is so critical to where we are in the world right now, given uh, the uh, items particularly that uh, we talked about uh, in our op-ed, that it's a pleasure uh, to be able to talk to uh, you uh, and to any audience to try and get us back on track. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for that. I want to just dive right in and talk more about your op-ed that you recently co-authored for Real Clear Politics. And one of the themes that you talked about was U.S. energy and with that, I wanted to you know, get your thoughts on the Biden administration's approach to it. First and foremost, how would you grade the Biden administration's energy policies? Well, my goodness. Uh, I mean, maybe he's gone from a two to a three, uh, but I don't even know how I could give him credit for a two. Uh, the very first thing he did, uh, uh, as you well know, when he got into office was cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, had he not canceled the Keystone Pipeline, uh, we would have remained uh, energy independent uh, all by itself. And then when he stopped federal leasing, he stopped all these others. It was obvious uh, that, number one, he had, had no understanding whatsoever of the need for fossil fuels and the role that fossil fuel actually played in any alternative energy solution. Uh, and that he was going to do whatever he could do to damage uh, the uh, uh, fossil fuel industry. And we knew from that minute uh, that we were once again going to see uh, a tremendous uh, uh, increase in prices. Uh, there were going to be major supply issues. Uh, we had one blip when the Saudi Arabians decided, well, and I guess and Russia, uh, decided to uh, reassert themselves and cut oil prices to $20 a barrel, uh, which again uh, was all aimed at shutting down uh, the uh, uh, industry here uh, because nobody could afford to drill for $20 oil. So they reasserted themselves at that point, uh, the Biden administration having no real understanding. The first thing they did was try and drain the uh, uh, our reserves, and as you well know, uh, reserves have to be replaced. Mm -hmm. 
So what are we going to do? We're going to buy Saudi Arabian oil to replace our reserves. Uh, that made no sense. So it, it, it has been horribly, horribly detrimental uh, to energy independence uh, and to American exceptionalism and all the things that made uh, uh, America a great country uh, have been damaged tremendously by the Biden administration. There have been a couple of very, very uh, uh, lame attempts at trying to bring it back, but uh, uh, nothing of any kind of consequence and nothing that really matters. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I actually could not be uh, more disappointed uh, in what has happened uh, in the industry uh, since the Biden administration has come in. Mm -hmm. Yes, just a, a little more than two years ago, the Biden administration came into office. And since then, I wanted to get your thoughts on how their energy policies specifically have impacted U.S. national security. And from a global perspective, its role, you know, in, on the global stage. Well, first of all, it's just one of, of, of many reasons. Uh, again, this world worked because uh, because of American exceptionalism. Uh, there was only one country in the world that could keep their th their uh, uh, finger in the dike uh, to protect the kind of things that we've seen before. Uh, and if you look at uh, the approach to foreign policy, first of all, our dependence on, on foreign oil, as you well know, without energy, nothing moves, nothing runs. And the fact that he was trying to shut down, uh, if you will, the fossil fuel industry of the United States uh, was uh, ha had to cause tremendous inflation in the United States, which resulted uh, in these tremendous giveaways that we've had to try and compensate for that. Uh, uh, so you, 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 start, uh, you start with that. You start with our, again, dependence on foreign oil which uh, uh, one of the things that the Trump administration had done exceptionally well uh, was reinforce uh, the United States' place on the world scene. Uh, do you combine that with our pullout from Afghanistan? Uh, and what has happened to a great extent is it created this opportunity uh, for China to step in the middle of this and become who the United States has always been which is the peacekeeper, I want to say the peacekeeper to the world. Uh, but if you look at the, at the countries in the Middle East, uh, there was a, a, a tremendous fear that the United States would do in the Middle East uh, what they had done uh, uh, with the Afghanistan pullout. Uh, and all of the countries uh, that joined the Abraham Accords, who are all the primary oil uh, uh, producers, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, could not be a named uh, uh, participant uh, because, as the crown prince actually said to me when I uh, met with him, I met with him with a group of about 10 people, uh, he said, we live in a pretty uh, rough neighborhood. We can't really join the Abraham Accords, but take a look at what we do and take a look at what we do with Israel. But all of a sudden, there became a fear in the Middle East that the United States would not support them uh, the way that uh, it had been agreed upon during the Trump days and the creation of the Abraham Accords. 
in all of these countries who had self-preservation as their primary motivation started doing business once again uh, with Iran. Uh, and China, who is, I, I, I'm, and I apologize, I, I'm not sure of this for a fact, but you know who has virtually no oil production, uh, but, but, but arguably is, if not the largest consumer of oil in the world, certainly one of the uh, one or two. Uh, we, we start cutting Russia off after the Ukraine invasion. And uh, China, who uh, it can take all of the oil that uh, uh, Russia can produce, becomes their biggest market. And so China becomes, and, and, and they, they take that, and it manifests itself into China coming back onto the world, uh, world uh, stage uh, as a broker, but they're a broker among our enemies uh, before they can broker with the United States, which would not be to our benefit, I don't think, uh, in terms of what kind of deals we can make. So all of a sudden you see China uh, bringing back together uh, this uh, three-legged stool who arguably are our enemies, Iran, and everyone starts to make deals with Iran for self-preservation again, right? And they've got a, a, a customer base for anything they can produce. Uh, Russia, who has arguably been cut off to a great extent from selling into Western Europe, now they've got uh, a market for everything they can produce just by going the other way. So the combination is there was a common goal among those three and if you look at the oil producing countries, uh, you know, they see that there's an economic reason uh, once again to try and do business. So all of a sudden you got probably the world's two greatest enemies, if you will, mm -hmm. Iran and Iraq uh, for religious reasons. You know, Dan Jurgen once wrote that every war in the history of the world uh, has been fought over oil. Uh, I took issue with them a little bit. I said I thought perhaps uh, some of these wars have been fought for religious reasons. Uh, and, you know, okay, so they're religious reasons, but it was all based on oil production, according to him. But all of a sudden, there was an economic reason for these people to join forces against. And finally, uh, they, could, they could fight against the evils that were United States exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have, to a great extent, uh, gotten into that position now. And we don't know where it's going. Nobody knows how it's going. I mean, it is self-corrected before. Uh, but if you look at the position that Israel is in with the United States not being as supportive, if you will, uh, as it has been historically, uh, and the Abraham Accords have stalled to a great extent, there is still... Uh, a great deal of trade going on between the Abraham Accord countries and Israel. But these same countries are now doing business with Iran again, uh, and that's for self-preservation. Mm -hmm. uh, they have no ability to defend themselves. They were counting on the United States, and they now have this fear that they've had before. We bailed in Afghanistan. We bailed in Iran. Uh, we basically bailed in, in Iraq after uh, the Iraqi war. 
the United States has not maintained its uh, position as the bully on the block, uh, uh, big, the biggest uh, uh, bully on the block in the Middle East. And there's fears uh, in, that, in those countries, uh, and their economic power allows them to make deals uh, to buy safety. And so I'm sorry, I need to let you ask me questions, <laughs> but you push the button, the start button, Sam. And no worries at all. This is something that I spend so much of my life devoted to because of my devotion uh, to the uh, uh, state of Israel and the safety and security of the Jewish community, which is how I fell into this position to begin with. So when asked to become Harold Hamm's co-chairman, uh, I said, even in my advanced age and not wanting to take national leadership positions anymore, how could I conceivably pass, on, uh, pass up an opportunity uh, to partner with Harold Hamm uh, in talking about energy security and the state of Israel? So. With all due apologies, let me turn it back to you. <laughs> no worries at all. That was really interesting. I wanted to uh, segue into what we were talking about earlier with this op-ed uh, that you co-authored for Real Clear Politics. Um, in the op-ed you wrote, we must stand strong with our allies in Taiwan and Ukraine as nations like China and Russia threaten their right to self-determination. From your perspective, what does standing strong with our allies look like? Well... Uh, I, I will tell you that, you know, the world has changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that perhaps putting uh, feet on the ground is something uh, that America ha has to be hesitant in doing. Uh, but I think that considering, uh, you know, I laughingly said, uh, I think the reason that uh, Putin went to China, if you remember the pictures of him at the Olympics, uh, is that they were flipping a coin to see whether he would invade Ukraine uh, or China would invade Taiwan first. But uh, that combination was meant to weaken the United States and, per and perhaps to take Taiwan uh, and to take Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I think that Putin won the flip, having no idea at all uh, the, uh, the defense that Ukraine would put up. But I think we have been greatly remiss in not providing Ukraine with whatever they need. Look, this is not, uh, and, and, and I don't want to get into the politics, uh, uh, Republican uh, uh, primary politics, but this is not a regional skirmish uh, on a border dispute. Uh, this is a battle of major world powers uh, of Russia and whoever their allies are. Uh, and the West, because we're getting very close to NATO countries. So I think whatever we have to do, short of putting boots on the ground, but at some point we might have to do that as well, we need to do. Uh, we, we have to protect Taiwan, uh, because if you look at the amount of our manufacturing that is taking place in Taiwan and the effect that it would have uh, uh, on the American economy, uh, and I think that protecting Ukraine, because if you think, and again, I don't want to be naive, but if you think for one moment that this would stop Putin, uh, I think that's a grave, grave, grave mistake. I think he is bound and determined to, uh, to recreate uh, 
the Soviet Union. Uh, and if you look at it, there are several of those countries that are now NATO countries, uh, where, which would force us uh, uh, under, uh, uh, I mean, uh, forget the Budapest Memorandum, which he's already which we've already violated. But we have an obligation to NATO to protect them. So if we allow him to take Ukraine, uh, then next comes some of these other countries that are now part of NATO, and we have an obligation to protect them. So uh, that does mean the start of arguably a, a third world war. Uh, you know, what does that mean about mutual destruction? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But I can't imagine that we would abandon NATO, and we certainly can't abandon Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the things that China is doing now are there only to embarrass the United States. Uh, I will tell you, flying this balloon over the United States, a spy balloon over the United States of America, slowly over a period of about five or six days, argued, arguably could be the single most embarrassing moment in American history. Uh, and I think buzzing Taiwan the way they've done, uh, they're just letting the rest of the world know that they're in the throes of being the, the, the uh, this being the Chinese century as the last century was the American, the U.S. Uh, century. So I think it's, uh, it, it, it is incredibly important uh, that we do short of putting boots on the ground, uh, that we do everything we possibly can uh, to allow Ukraine and to allow Taiwan to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think, and, and as you see, Martin, for all intents and purposes, even agrees uh, with most of that. Uh, you know, obviously he is very supportive uh, uh, of the Biden administration, which he should be, uh, but I could not have been more proud of him for uh, understanding our, our needs uh, an American defense and stretching as far as he did as an extension of where the Biden administration is now. Fred, I wanted to talk more about this article uh, titled, It's Time for America to Reassert Its Role as Both an Energy and Political Power Broker. When Correct. you look at the two that you talk about there, both energy and political power broker, how can the U.S. work to achieve both both parts of that, both in the energy and political sectors? Well, I, I, ironically, I think there's a very, very simple answer to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, God bless Harold Hamm, uh, my partner, because the day that we became energy independent and no longer depended at all on Mideast oil, uh, uh, all of a sudden, it changed our whole position with regard to the Middle East, uh, Russia, and everyone else. Uh, we, we didn't have to worry uh, anymore about having to wear a sweater and set the temperature at 65 degrees, Jimmy Carter. Being not dependent on them, we were very, very dependent on their energy to keep our uh, economy rolling. And being energy independent. And I mean, my God, look how this has manifested itself. Uh, but being energy independent, uh, energy being the, the uh, I don't want to use a bad pun, the bedrock or the foundation of all economic activity, uh, gave us 
the ultimate flexibility. Uh, there was no one that could challenge us militarily. Uh, we were uh, so much more of a power than any other country. Uh, you look at Russia, you know, there's an old joke about Russia being a, 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 a gas station with a nuclear bomb. Uh, but uh, Russia was broke, right? Russia was broke. No, we didn't, nobody had to deal with them. They couldn't support their military. And there was no threat from Russia. Well, all of a sudden, uh, uh, we lose our energy independence, which means we now not, cannot control the price of, oil, of energy. Uh, prices go to $100 a barrel or whatever, and gas prices go to $6, whatever they went to at one point in time. And all of a sudden, uh, we are now uh, Iran, same issue with Iran. We are now, I hate, again, I hate to use a bad pun, but we are fueling their economy. And once we fuel their economy, they had the ability to support a military again. And, and we have now seen, again, the manifestation of that with their uh, becoming an offensive power and taking on Ukraine. They couldn't have done this three years ago, uh, four years ago, five years ago. They had no ability to do that because they were a broke country. Iran was being, uh, uh, was at a, a pretty, you know, inability to sell to anybody. Uh, they had a much smaller market. They were being sanctioned by us and we had totally bankrupted their economy. And both of these were on the, on the verge of absolute collapse when all of a sudden our uh, energy industry gets shut down prices go through the roof and now we again are giving them the financial capability uh iran particularly as we started to remove sanctions from them do i fear their nuclear capability you have to mm -hmm. and are, are they going to bomb anybody we have no idea uh it, it's in you know i grew up uh during during the early days of the cold war and russia certainly understood uh, the theory of mutual destruction. And I even remember as an eight or nine year old uh, when they were running uh, ads all day long on television uh, for bomb shelters. And I said to my father, uh, who was a World War II veteran, part of the D-Day invasion. And I said, dad, why don't we buy up a, a, a fallout shelter? <laughs> and he said, because Russia understands mutual destruction and they will never dropping a nuclear bomb on America because they understand it. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that Iran doesn't also understand mutual destruction, but you got a lot of satellite countries that uh, would be excellent customers uh, of, of Iran that, that either don't care about mutual destruction or don't understand it. Mm -hmm. So they're having the ability to create uh, a weapon of mass destruction would be uh, a catastrophe for the rest of the world. So our ability to police all that uh, is, is broken. Uh, look, it, it, it broke when Biden sent them, uh, or I don't know, I don't know, I forget if it was Biden or Obama, I'm losing track of time, uh, the, their cash back, okay. Uh, and what they've done now with removing sanctions and allowing them to continue and putting them in the greatest position they've ever been in by- uh, That was Obama. Uh, 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 the JCPOA to 
disintegrate, if you will. Uh, Iran's now in a position where there's no agreement, and they don't, and and they had, they have no interest in re-entering an agreement because as long as there's no agreement, they can produce anything they want, and that's what's happened with this administration. So uh, we are not asserting. We don't really have the ability because of the way this game is playing out to assert, uh, a, a, but we are choosing not uh, to assert diplomatic uh, uh, power uh, to be the power broker. And we're not the energy power broker because we've allowed uh, these rogue countries uh, to sell into other markets. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Just before we go, I wanted to give you the opportunity for any final thoughts. Well, uh, all I can say is I fervently hope uh, that uh, the Republican Party, if you will, or if not the Republican Party, uh, uh, someone other than the progressive end of the Democratic Party uh, can take power in 24. I have a lot of confidence in our party. I don't have that level of confidence in the Democratic Party. But we've got to reassert ourselves. Uh, uh, and again, I'll give, because Martin was my co-author, but I think uh, this headline, Sam, really says it all. America has got to reassert its role as both an energy and a political power broker. It's important uh, for the future of mankind. Uh, we now have an ability to destroy the earth, and you have a lot of folks that don't really care if we do it or don't do it, uh, running around with uh, or getting close to having these weapons of mass destruction. So for the sake of our children, our grandchildren, and the future uh, uh, of civilization, uh, we have got to get a grip on this thing, and we've got to rein in uh, the rogue countries that are trying to destroy uh, Western civilization uh, and the greatest country in the history of the world, the United States of America. And I can't thank you enough for letting me vent, if you will, and I appreciate what you're, what you're trying, uh, everything you're trying to accomplish. Well, Fred, as I'm in, thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on in the future. I'll do this seven days a week. I put my uniform back on and uh, and I'm back in the ballgame. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to my interview with Fred Zyman, Director and Co-Chair of Council for a Secure America. If you enjoyed our interview and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great Wednesday, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.